0: Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So uh, we're going to continue on in our series called uh, Fortune Cookie. And for those of you guys who weren't here last week, let me explain to you just real quick uh, why this Series is entitled Fortune Cookie. Now, uh, most people, so well, let's back up real quick. What is a fortune cookie? It is the the thing they give you at the end of, uh, you know, Chinese or, or Thai food restaurant meal or nasty Panda Express. Can I get an amen? Amen. There you go. The you own a Panda Express, I'm totally sorry. <laughs> um, I'll come eat there. Um, but they give them to you and they give you this little statement. And the statement that they provide to you is like this general little thing that can apply however you want it to apply, right? So I I had a fortune cookie say one time, uh, someone special is thinking about you. And to all the single people in the house, they go, ooh, yes, hallelujah, right? And it's just like you think, oh, well, maybe so-and-so who doesn't know I have a crush on them. I've never spoke to them. I only liked the post on Instagram they had one time a week ago. Um, Hopefully they understand that they're thinking about me. Right. Um, I also saw a fortune cookie once that said, um, uh, prepare for good news next week. You know, if you had a job interview the next week or whatever, you'd be like, oh, this is a good sign for me. You know what I mean? Like, this is great. And what people do is they take those little statements and they just take them and apply them to whatever they want to in their life, kind of how it pertains to them. Unfortunately, the Western church, the American church, has done something very similar with the Bible. And they, they take little pieces of the Bible and try to apply it to their life in a place that doesn't apply. They try to make the scripture say something that it doesn't say. So, um, uh, and one of the reasons that people do this is because, I don't know if you ever thought about this. If you, if you missed the message from last week, I'm just give me a quick little catch up. Um, the, the Bible was not written with numbered chapters and verses in it. Those were not fully combined and put into print in the American Bible, and into the, the English Bible, um, the Geneva Bible, which was brought with the Puritans and the pilgrims as they came over to America um, in the 1600s. Before that, they didn't exist. The Bible has existed without numbered chapters and verses for longer than it did with the chapters and verses. Now, the chapters and verses were put in because it gives us a um, a great point of reference when we study and we talk about the Bible. Let me give you an example. If I say John 3.16, everybody goes? We're right, right, right. You know the whole passage because we've identified the book, the chapter, and the verse. And this is what it was intended to do. But there's also a negative side that happened is that If you never thought about, oh, I never really thought about how the numbers of the chapters and the numbers of the verse got into the Bible. If you never really thought about that, then you may go, oh, you may not realize it hasn't always been that way. It wasn't written in these little bite-sized chunks that we have broken it down for the purposes of study and reference. That's not how it was written. And so people take these little bite-sized chunks out of a big old huge letter that was written and try to make it apply to them today and we talked last week how the bible wasn't written to you it was written for you and we went into the deep end to the for the jugular one of the one of the most misrepresented passages in the bible one of the most misrepresented and misused scriptures in the bible is jeremiah 29 11 i know the plans i have for you says the lord plans for good and not for evil, the prosper and not to harm you, hope in the future. And we, after we did some study on that and looked at it, we determined that that has nothing to do with you. And if that cooks your noodle a little bit, go back and listen to the message last week. And because I'm not going to re-preach it, but go back and listen to the message from last week and realize that every one of those scriptures was not written to you, but it was written for you. This week, we're going to take a look at um, two more scriptures that are um, typically what I'm going to call quote unquote fortune cookied. They're taken as a little chunk and tried to apply to a place in our life it may not it, it may not apply to. And the first one, number one in your notes, you guys will probably uh, know what, what I'm talking about just by the title of these two words. Number one in your notes is judge not. Judge not. And the old King James that would end lest ye be judged right so let's read this in the new living translation it is do not judge others and you will not be judged it's luke 6 37 do not judge others and you will not be judged the funny thing is is that do you do you know that's not even the whole verse i didn't even know that until i got into it i was like oh this is not even divided up this way Like even the people who divided it didn't separate these things. They put other thoughts together with it. And we'll get into that real um, in a minute. But most people who fortune cookie this verse are unbelievers. Most people. Because when you address them, if they ask you a question, you get into a conversation about some immoral behavior in their life, and you bring it up and say, hey, this is kind of out of bounds rule. God would want you to, how God wants you to live and what's right and wrong. What do they say? You can't judge me. They say it like that with an attitude too. You can't judge me. Like the judge is held out and like it dips a little bit. You can't judge me. You know what I mean? Like they, you can't judge me. I mean, they, what the Bible says, aren't you Christian? Then the Bible says you can't judge me. And then people who don't know the Bible and don't know how the passage applies and the full context of the scripture and haven't done any study on on the passage may respond, well, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? And both interpretations of the passage are incorrect. How do I know? Because we are going to read it. Now, next line in your notes, this scripture is mostly fortune cookied when believers in Christ address immoral behavior, immoral behavior. So I'm going to read out loud for your hearing Luke 6, uh, 27 through 37, the, the verse we're tooken, that we're taking a look at is verse 37. I'm going to back up nine verses and read the ones that are leading into it. And I'm going to give you an example, um, uh, kind of a, hopefully that you'll remember after the message is done. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the most high. This, this really got me right here. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Do not judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven you can see the cracks in the argument start to appear just by reading these nine verses before the one in question you can see that the argument of you can't tell me what's immoral has nothing to do with this passage the the timid passive approach of believers who say who am i to judge based on this passage has nothing to do with what's being presented here and let me give you an example of what's being presented here. My man Zion, will you come help me out real quick? You sat in the perfect place. I asked her mom if you were coming. Give, give my boy Zion a... I didn't ask Anna because she would kick me in the shin and go back to her seat. So, <laughs> Love you, girl. <laughs> She's like, don't point at me. I hate you. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to give you a bag of these. Okay. You stand right there. And a bowl. Okay. Okay, and I'm going to have a bowl. I'm going to put mine right here. So, this uh, passage says, for those of you who are willing to listen, are we willing to listen? Are we willing to submit to what God's word says? From the very jump, God says, some people ain't going to listen to this. But for those of you who are willing to listen, listen up. Here's how I want you to act. If you're following him, here's how I want you to act. Love your enemies. Now, let's pretend me and Zion here are enemies. He didn't do anything to make me his enemy. I just, I don't know. I just didn't like that little smirk on his face. I didn't like his hair. I didn't like his chain. I didn't like his shoes. They're cleaner than mine. I didn't like something, something he just was happy. And I was mad one day. And for some reason I can't stand him. This is not the truth. This is not the truth, unless you're his sister, but that for, for me and him, this is not just, see, right, right. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, he's like, yeah, don't, yeah, I can't respond while everyone's looking at me. Um, but what happens is if we're enemies, then I am going to treat him in a way or give him something that's negative. I'm going to give him an attitude. It's represented by these red blocks. Anger. I'm mad at that dude. He just... And I keep giving him all of this stuff. Hate him. Curse at him. Someone smacks you on the cheek. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm just kidding. But they, they, they do something that's, you know, offensive to you. And one by one by one, I begin to fill up his bucket. What I'm giving to him are all of this stuff that an enemy would give. The hate, the vengeance, the anger, the disgust, the frustration, talking about him behind his back. I tell other people that I can't stand him. And one by one by one, I keep filling up his bucket and giving this to him. And then one day, Zion goes, hey, bro, I don't like this. You keep talking bad about me. You keep talking about people about me behind my back. People come to tell me what you're saying. You were you rude to me. You cursed at me at, at work. You know what I mean? I was just trying to help out my my my." youth pastor who came by for a discount. I didn't give him one, but um, at at my job, but it's all right. Um, You'll get another chance. I'm just messing. But uh, uh, people are cursing at him. They're not talking to him right. They're talking bad about him. They don't like him. They're filling up what they're giving to him with anger, with things that we would entitle actions of the flesh. Now, he's got a choice. Hey, dude, you're going to keep hitting me with these. I got a few of these I can hit you right back with. And this is the point where Jesus says, if anyone's going to listen, listen up now. If you're willing to listen, someone hates you, don't return that hate to them. But you pull out of your bag, nice, and you give them back gold. But that's not what they gave me. That's not what they gave me. So? I don't want to be treated like that. Ain't nobody going to treat me that way, really. Um, For those of you who are willing to listen, I say, If I'm your enemy and I give you what enemies give, you give love. Love your enemies. If I'm cursing him, he's to bless me. If someone offends him in some way, he's supposed to give me back understanding. If someone is unkind and unthankful, you're supposed to give them compassion and grace and peace. If Someone is consistently filling you up with acts of the flesh that hurt or frustrating. You're not supposed to give that back to them You're supposed to fill them up and keep filling them up with what the scripture says. And on the heels of that, he says, if you look at what someone else has given you and it's terrible, horrible, fleshly stuff. Don't make a judgment call on the person who's giving that to you. Don't do that. Don't condemn them. You sorry piece of garbage, I'm going to... No, give them compassion. If someone's done something to offend you, give them forgiveness. You're not supposed to give back this or judge the person Who's giving all of this garbage and grief to you? You're supposed to stay out of that process and only give what represents Christ. Okay, you can sit down just for a second. Hold on to that. I'm going to bring you back in a minute, okay? Yeah, you can hold on to this. I read more than a half dozen commentaries on this passage, and they all get down to the same thing next line in your notes and that's this the topic of judgment in Luke 6 refers to casting judgment not making a judgment call it refers to casting judgment and not making a judgment call let me give you an examples of both okay So it would be a bad idea, a bad judgment call to walk up to an angry Mike Tyson and give him a yo mama joke. Yo mama's favorite food is corn because she likes to bite ears. I would get the, yeah, you got it. Thank you. You just got it hear You, I would get the ever living snot kicked out of me today by mike tyson if i walked up and you would say bad judgment call bro i thought he would like the joke what made you think that bad judgment call let's look at some judgment calls and might uh hit a little bit closer to home i'm married to the woman of my dreams so i don't allow myself to be alone with other women in private you committed to one men I wrote this from a man's perspective, so I'll talk to all the married men in the, in the room. You committed the one, forsaking all others. You gave her your heart, your body, your soul. So it is a great idea to not put yourself in a compromising situation in private and go be alone with some other woman who you uh, are not married to. If you did that, bad judgment call. If you don't, Good judgment call. I have a problem with abusing alcohol, so I avoid going to places that sell alcohol. Good judgment call. But when you say that to people in the world who do have a problem abusing alcohol and they don't try to stay away from those places, are you trying to say that every place that sells alcohol, all those owners are going to hell? No. I'm saying... I have an issue and I need to avoid the issue. I need to avoid being in an environment that would spark that issue to come back in a way that I can't control. So I need to stay away from it. Good judgment call. Everybody understand judgment calls? Let me give you an example of casting judgment. Somebody does something to you, and your response is, I know their real motive. It was a mistake. Someone just, just barely bumped into you at church. No, I know what they were trying to do. They are trying to send a message. I know what that really meant. I know when they said nice shoes, they didn't really, weren't complimenting my shoes. They were making fun of me because the shoes I wore last week I was insecure about, then that's what they were doing. I know why they really did that. And we become the judge and the jury in assigning someone's motive to them without even trying to consider what the truth is. Casting judgment. You might find this funny because I did, but I found this out last year that there was a, 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 a biblical scholar named Matthew Poole, no lie, lived in the 1800s and he wrote a commentary and so whenever I do messages, I go and say, hey, great uncle, what do you have to say about this? Um, but he he uh, he wrote in very old Queen's English, which I'm not going to hit you with today because it took me about 30 minutes to un- my, unwrap my mind around what he was trying to say. But I summarized what he was trying to say um, in this commentary because I think it's very relevant to what casting judgment is. And I put it in your notes for you. So it's a little paraphraser summary of what he said. Luke 6.37 Is referring to judging the actions and opinions of others while appointing ourselves as the final authority of determining their guilt or innocence. When we put ourselves and elevate ourselves and appoint ourselves as the one who should determine if they're guilty or innocent, if that action or what they said to us was, spiteful and hurtful and coming at us or they just had a bad day. We put ourselves in that position without even trying to figure out what the truth is. We fill the role of casting judgment. If we look at the situations or actions of others without consideration, understanding or care for the truth and pronounce a judgment against them, or whether in our heart privately or in public, then we should expect to have our circumstances and actions scrutinized in the same way. This is what the scripture is pointing to doesn't say that you can't identify when someone is in sin. It doesn't say that you can't declare the truth of God's word when they're stepping out on their wife or they're, you know, stone-faced drunk and then still be like, yeah, I'm cool with Jesus, man. You might not be. I'm not making a judgment or casting a judgment. You wretched, filthy sinner. You're going straight to where the devil lives when you die unless you repent right now. No, I'm not doing all that. I'm looking at what the situation is and going, the actions of this person who tells me they're a believer is not lining up with what the Bible says a believer should pursue. So I don't really know if there's a genuine heart transformation here. Therefore, I need to take a step back. It's a judgment call, casting judgment. You're filthy, you're wicked, you're dirty. Get away from me. Judgment call. I don't know that I can be around you until you solve these issues. See the difference? Don't cast judgment or the same way that you cast it, it will be used against you to judge your own actions. The book of Matthew chapter seven actually has the same account as Luke chapter six of this exact same situation. And let's read verse one and two, and let, let me show you what verse two says in Matthew, and it'll give us even some more insight on what judge not lest you be judged" really means. Matthew seven, one through two, don't judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Jesus isn't saying you don't have the ability or the right or the duty to step forward and call out sin. What he is saying is the standard that you use, the level of grace, the level of compassion that you use or don't use, that's how people are going to judge your actions in the middle of when you need, when when you said something that they took wrong. Why is this important? Next line in your notes. We judge others by their worst actions and ourselves by our best intentions. We judge others by their worst actions and ourselves by our best intentions. So what is this fortune cookie scripture really saying? Next two lines in your notes. Luke 637 does not prevent Christians from speaking out from speaking out against biblically immoral behavior or making judgment calls. Next line, Luke 637 points to us being judged by the same standard we use to judge others. Are you saying that I'm supposed to judge others? In one sense, yes. Not cast judgment but make a judgment call. In John chapter seven, Jesus was speaking on the Sabbath. He was teaching and he actually healed someone. And the legalistic Pharisees who were like, oh, you can't do anything on the Sabbath because the law of Moses says we can't do anything. And they literally meant anything. If the roof fell off of your house, you had to stay in that house and get wet. You couldn't patch the hole. If your car broke down, you couldn't fix it. The ox went in the ditch, you had to leave it there. That was what it was expected of the legalistic portion of the law, but Jesus steps forward and heals a man and teaches on the Sabbath, and they're screaming at him and yelling at him and calling all calling him all these names, and he calls out their hypocrisy. He says, "You've been working on the Sabbath. How is it wrong for me? You've know, you followed the rules that you're holding me to. You're holding me to a different standard than you hold your own self to." And then he ends John chapter seven verse twenty four with this statement. Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Well, if Jesus is the one that said, don't judge or you will be judged. And then he also said, you need to judge correctly. It sounds like a contradiction. No, don't cast judgment. Look deeper, dig deeper. In everybody's got a story don't just look at the anger why was the anger there why did that person scream and yell and holler what happened in their life because the divorce they're going through might have pushed them over the edge that morning the fight they had with their kid that lasted till 1 a.m. now they're up at 5 going to work may have pushed them to a level of exhaustion doesn't make an excuse but then all of a sudden it makes the action a little less hurtful when you understand what's going on the standard you judge others with is a standard you're going to be judged by so let the standard that we make our judgment calls on be scripture because we're supposed to be living up to that ourselves and if we do that there won't be a problem second fortune cookied scripture I'm going to go after. (laughs) There's number two in your notes is give and it will come back to you. Give and it will come back to you. The actual scripture says, give and you will receive your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more running over and poured out into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, the first verse we dealt with is Primarily fortune-cookied, used incorrectly by unbelievers. This one is primarily fortune-cookied and misused by believers, typically people who stand up here with a microphone and are taking an offering, right? Like when I was a kid, we actually sang a song to this verse. It was, give, and it will come back to you. Press down, shaking together, and boom, running over, right? I said it was a song. I didn't say it was a good song. I just said it was a song. And they would sing that with far less rhythm than I just incorporated right there. Um, Because I'm married to the Polynesians. I get some of that rubbed off on me over the two decades. And um, they were, it was, it was bad. It was just like country, forget it. It was just bad. Um, So the next line in your notes, this verse is often fortune cookied during some church offering times. And the concept is, Oh. It left me with the concept. I'm the church kid, right? I grew up in church. I heard the scripture. Give, and it'll come back to you. It'll be bigger and better and overrunning. So if I give 10 bucks into the magic ATM machine that is the offering plate, God somehow is going to hit me back with 100 later. And if I put 1,000 in, he's going to hit me back with 50 grand later. This is awesome. I don't know why this works. I don't know why he would do that. But of course, I'm going to put something in that plate. And then the magic ATM, ching, ching, every time I drop it in there, I can hear it in the back of my head until a few weeks later when it didn't come back to you. And you're left sitting there going, I should just be grateful with no understanding. Now, you might wonder correctly how these two fortune cookie statements got into the same message. And you would be right on the surface, but I want you to do one thing. I want you to look at the reference of the scripture, given it will come back to you. Luke chapter 6, 38. It is the verse after the judge. Judge not lest ye be judged. He's not talking about. It. He just didn't do a pivot in mid in mid thought and talk about something else. The first one's not about you pointing fingers at sin, and the second one is like, but given the offering plate, so it'll double or triple or a hundredfold, like the late night televangelists tell you. So, a seed right now, brother. I declare, it's gonna come back to you a hundredfold. Yes, yeah, give it right now. One eight hundred. Right? How in the world did I never see, after all these years, literally until earlier this week, that that verse was attached to the judge not lest ye be judged? So now let's read 37 and 38 together. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Don't condemn others or it will, it will all come back against you. Remember that phrase, it'll all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. Matt, are you telling me that God does not bless it when people give money? That's not what I'm telling you. But he's not blessing the action. He's blessing the stewardship of the commitment and the heart that you gave. We process these scriptures through the impact our culture has on us. And our culture, like it or not, is a consumer driven, give more to me. How much more can I get for what I'm giving? What kind of return do I get on this investment? If I give you this, how much more does it come back to me? I want more than I gave. I want more than I sowed. I want more than I invested. And that's what people do with this passage because their mindset is actually pressed by the culture how do we make this fit into the culture we don't because we're not supposed to use the bible to blend into the culture we're supposed to use it to stand against it for its betterment will god bless people who give money sure i put two references you can go look at later in your notes proverbs 19 17 says if those who give to the poor lend to god and he will repay sounds like somebody should be given to 2 Corinthians 9, 6-14 talks about the condition of your heart Determine in your heart according to what you want to give, give, and God will reward through the magic ATM machine. No, he, re- he rewards your generosity in ways that are not going to be able to be measured. Does that mean he's not going to hit you back with some money? Well, he might. But he's not obligated to. So... Bring your bowl back up here, Zion. Let's finish our illustration here. Give and it will come back to you means attached to what we just talked about. I give him garbage. He gives me gold. I give him an attitude. He gives me a smile. I give him hate he gives me love I give him frustration and impatience he gives me peace mercy and continues to find ways to fill my bucket up even though it looks nothing like what I've filled his up with Forgive. give when you forgive when you give not what the other person deserves but what scripture lines out for us then what you have given will come back to you in a greater abundance than what you gave it next on your notes John 6:38 has nothing Nothing to do with giving a little money in an offering and getting more money back from God. Luke 6.38 points to us receiving in abundance the grace, mercy, love, and kindness that we give to others. So, these two things are connected people giving you this don't cast judgment on them because on the moments that you may inadvertently or unintentionally give some of this to somebody they're going to use the same standard to judge your action you should be giving this because when you give this it comes back to you in greater abundance why is it important? to unwrap these statements that are misused in scripture why it's important for many reasons number but number one I would say is this when we try to take these statements and force them into our culture and make them fit our culture We disfigure the truth and we create an idol that has nothing to do with God. What I'm hoping is that as we go through this series and as you listen to these messages, you immediately think, "Ooh, how many verses do I know that are like one off by themselves? And do I understand them wrong? If you have some of those, the goal is not, is not to shoot me an email and say, preach on this one, bro. The goal is for you to open up his word and read through and ask the Holy Spirit to show you. I'll be happy to preach on some of them. We've got a few more weeks left in the series. I've got a bunch of them lined out that we're going to keep going through. But there is no need to disfigure the truth of the gospel and create a false idol that will not come through and will not answer the hopes of the people that we convinced it. We cannot look at people from the culture and go, hey, man, I know the culture gives you highs, good times, temporary fulfillment, and you can go do whatever you want, but you can kind of do some of that with the Bible, too, because you give a little money, God will give it back to you, and you got some freedom here, and there's some little gray areas that, you know, I can't judge you, so just come on in, and and maybe the water's fine because we're timid and don't believe that what was done for us on the cross that we sung about is not more priceless, more valuable valuable, and more, more abundant than what the world will offer. There's no need to embellish the Bible, to make it say things it doesn't say, to try and get a self-serving culture to come and sit in the pews and still go to hell. There's no point. What Jesus did for us on that cross, rising from the grave and giving those of us who simply believe in him eternity and a hope to make it through life with a strength that is not our own, to give us direction from our creator, a promise of eternity, a way to deal with suffering and heartbreak. that right there is better than what the world offers hands down money or not blessing or not there's no need for us to chop the bible up into these pieces because what's a fortune cookie tastes sweet for a minute and you forget it after you read it the bible is not a temporary fix to be applied to a problem that doesn't that doesn't pertain to out of context the bible of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He made you, not we ourselves. We are his children, the sheep of his pasture, and when we look into his word, we find his heart, his character, his direction, his standard, and that's what we're supposed to be living up to. Not trying to grab a little something and make it be what I want it to be, I want that job. I know the plans he has for me, they're good, so God's going to give me that job. No. Nah. He might give it to you because you're his child. It's the right thing for you, the right way for you to go and spread the light in a dark place, maybe, but not based on a scripture that has nothing to do with you. When we deal with others... Why why is it important that we don't judge other people? We don't hold them to a higher standard because we don't want to be held to that standard, that impossible standard of our worst actions and other people's best intent? No. It's because our job is to be ambassadors and reflect the light and hope and love of Christ to everybody, everywhere. So let's reflect the true word of God. You ever seen a Batman movie where up in the sky is the bat symbol when they turn on the light, when it's the commissioner, right? Is it the commissioner? Yeah, thank you. Our resident comic aficionado just corrected me. Um, Turn on the light, commissioner, turns the light and it's a bat. What if you turn the light on and it was like a little kitty cat? That doesn't make any sense. Taking scripture out of context and trying to shine the light of scripture with what it doesn't say is a similar one will bring hope and a savior the other one won't do anything